Welcome to the We Are Calvary podcast, where our mission is to share Jesus and help people experience life change. Thank you so much for listening. Here's this week's message. Hey, we're in a, a series on Advent, as Pastor Daniel was talking about. Advent's this looking forward. It's looking forward to the things that God has, is going to do, but it's also looking back to Jesus Christ and his coming into this world. And we talk about these themes, love, joy, peace, and hope. And this week, Pastor Ray was supposed to be here to speak on joy, uh, but then he, on Friday, called, and he's sick. He's sick this weekend. And so he called Pastor David Barnes on Friday afternoon and said, hey, will you come and speak this weekend to all the services at Calvary? And how many know you, Pastor Ray really trusts you if he calls the day before to come speak all weekend? And uh, we're just so thankful for Pastor David. He is a pastor at Icon Church, used to be on staff here years ago, but he's been a friend to me, mentor, just we've been in each other's lives for a long time. And so we're very grateful to have Pastor David in the house. Would you give him a warm welcome as he comes to preach this morning? Wow. Yeah, nine, uh, 9.30. Daniel gave me a, maybe a heads up on Wednesday, but Thursday went by and I'd kind of tuned out, but I woke up Friday morning about 3 a.m. and I was like, I need to start thinking about joy for some reason. So sure enough, about nine, he calls and says, uh, hey, I go, yes, I will come. Um, it's so awesome to be able to come here and be with you. And uh, like I said, I've, I was... Um, I was on staff here. I was baptized here. Um, this is this is this is home. So I I love to come back home and see you guys uh, um, and see what's going on and worship. You guys have been amazing, Dixie. You've been amazing. Um, Dixie was lost at the end of last service. We had to go find her. Um, so we got her, pulled her in, and um, last night because I was too long winded, she came up and started playing the piano, which is my cue to stop talking. Um, so, uh, but it is a pleasure to be here. It's a beautiful place. Remember to thank all the people that put on this, you know, all these trees and, and everything that's out there. They put a lot of time to make sure that this is a beautiful place for you to get to celebrate. And so this is an honor to spend time. Pastor Ray is doing okay. He's got some sniffles, some sneezes, some leaky stuff, you know, all the, all the stuff that nobody wants. And so he'll be better um, by the end of, uh, end of the week. But um, I am excited to be here with you today. Um, there's no service after this, so we're gonna be here for a long time. <laughs> it's gonna be so good, you're gonna love it, I promise. Nod your heads and say yes. Um, tradition at Calvary is we stand up where we read the word, so go ahead and stand up. We're gonna get in the book of John, start with uh, John 16. Verse 16, Bible in the sky, you can follow along. In a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. Some of the disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because of her time has come. But when her baby is born and she forgets the anguish because of the joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. 
in that day, you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Father God, we look into your word to find truth. God, we look into your word to see your character, to, to understand your nature. We look into your word to, to hear something that you would reveal to us, to see something new, to hear something new that would transform our hearts, that would renew our minds. That is why we are here. We're here to glorify you and only you. So may these words that we share today, may they glorify, may they be pleasing to your ears. May every person in here walk away with a sense of joy during a, during a joyful season. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm gonna get super focused on talking slow because last night we got in the car and the first thing my is like, hey, how was my message? She's like, you talk too fast. So I was like, yeah, I do. So um, I, uh, there were some people that came up to me at the last service and said, we saw your um, service on, on last night and you didn't talk as fast as last night. So I'm improving. So today I'm gonna really slow it down. Um, by the way, last night's was a dress rehearsal, 24 hours to prepare. So it's a good thing you didn't come last night. You should have came at nine. I think that one's gonna be the best one. And so I'm sorry, um, but we'll see what happens. Um, today we look into this story and, and John is telling us about a time where the disciples are, are very troubled. They have a lot of questions. They have a lot of unknown, a lot of uncertainty. They're in this upper room and it's called the Upper Room Discourse. It's from chapters 13 to 17 in this. And basically a discourse is a teaching. It's a speech. So Jesus is spending the last night before he goes off to the cross, before he's betrayed, he's spending a dinner um, with, with his disciples and he's telling them a lot of things. And he's talking to them about peace and hope and love. And, and, uh, but during this whole time, he's, he's sharing a lot about the fact that he's going to be going away. And the disciples are very troubled. They're very troubled. They're like, what do you mean you're going away? Remember, these disciples had been with him for three years up to this point, And they had given up everything to follow Jesus. And they had probably spent a lot of time peacefully, probably had a lot of hope, probably had a lot of joy. We're learning about love. And here, this person that walked into their lives and changed their lives forever is now saying, in a little while, I'm going to go away. So it says that their hearts were troubled. Their hearts were troubled. We live in a world today, right now, as is, where there's a lot of troubled hearts. There's a lot of inner turmoil I do a lot of uh, counseling, a lot of sitting with people as well as Pastor Daniel and Taylor and anybody who's a shepherd. You sit with people and you, you get to feel their pain and their sin and, and their suffering and their grief and their anguish and their anxiety. And we live in a world that is oftentimes hopeless. Um, Pastor Ray called it non-peace last week. I would call it inner turmoil unrest, troubled hearts. We see sin running rampant. We see suffering. Our world is a place where there seems like there might be no hope. There seems like there might be no peace. And oftentimes we definitely don't see joy. You know, we might experience moments of happiness, 
But that happiness is often based on our circumstances. If everything's going well in my life, happy. If it's not, then not happy. So what I thought we would do today is where did this, where, where in the biblical story, where did it go wrong? Where, where, did, where was hope lost? Where was peace broken? Where was joy? Where, where did joy turn into sorrow? But before we do that, I want to give us a working definition of what joy is. The Greek word is kara, which literally means gladness or calm delight. But it actually has a deeper meaning, a deeper implication for us today. It actually means this idea of grace recognized. This idea that we can rejoice in the grace of God. And so with that working definition, let's see what we can figure out. And by the way, grace... If you don't know, if you're new, grace means unmerited favor, favor that you don't deserve. Okay. So we're going to process through and to go back to where all hope, peace, and joy was lost. Let's go back to the book of Genesis. The first question we got to ask, was there ever peace and hope and love and joy? Was that, was there ever a fullness of that? in the biblical story. And we find out in chapter two, we see this, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make helper suitable for him. First thing I wanna do is I wanna stop on this helper suitable. For many traditional decades, centuries, we take this idea that man was created first, woman was created second, so man must have been higher than the woman. But if we look at this idea of a helper suitable, the word helper is, is in the Hebrew, it is azer. And azer is the idea of a deliverer, a rescuer. And then if we look at what um, the suitable is, that's konegdo. Konegdo actually means opposite of, but complementary to. So we see in this moment that God sees that Adam's alone, but he's going to bring a woman into his life that is opposite of him, that complements him, but also is going to be a rescuer, a deliverer. Someone that's going to love and show grace. And oftentimes that word azer in the Old Testament is actually used in reference to God, to God's unmerited favor, God's grace, God's deliverance, God's rescuing to the Israelites. So this is a big time word. And so we see that God is going to create a woman for man that they will be in complete harmony and we will see that. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them and whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man names to all the lives, or man gave name to all the livestock and the birds of the air and all the beasts of the field. So there must have been a lot of trust, a lot of respect between God he just says, hey, here's some animals, name them whatever you want. So Adam does that. But for Adam, he found no suitable helper. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God said, or made a woman from the rib. He had taken it out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now my bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. 
she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. This idea that in this moment, they were in the presence of God, and they had complete harmony with one another, and complete harmony in the presence of God. In fact, they had peace. And that word peace means shalom. It means a completeness, a wholeness, a harmony. And in this moment, I imagine there was a lot of hope. They're naming the animals. There's no guilt. There's no shame. There's no suffering. There's no tears. There's no pain. There's no anguish. There's no anxiety. They're in complete harmony with God. They're in the presence of God and they're experiencing peace with God. They're experiencing the hope of God and they're rejoicing in the presence of God. But we know that the good part of the story only lasts for two chapters. And so we see that the woman gets convinced of a lie by the serpent. She then convinces Adam, hey, we should eat of this. There's curses that are brought in. One of the curses for women is childbearing pains. There's also another curse where it says that a man and a woman will fight with each other from now till the end of time. I will never, I will never not be busy because of this curse. But there is, there's, that's part of the curse. And it also says that a man will toil for the rest of his life. It'll work. If you're in here and you're working 60 to 70 hours a week, men, don't live in the curse. It was a curse. Work is good. Overwork is not. That's part of the curse. So then what does God have to do? It says in verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them and Adam and his wife uh, and clothed them. And Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which they had been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So what was this wonderful relationship, trusting relationship with peace and hope and joy is now broken. And now God puts a cherubim and a flashing sword in front of this gate to where man has no access to the tree of life, which means he has no eternal life with God. And in that, we have to go, well, how will man, woman, people ever get back into the presence of God? So being the great God that he is, God starts working out his redemptive plan. And we see one of the first ones he does is he floods the world, and then he goes to Noah and he says, we call it the Noah covenant. And he says to Noah, he goes, you know, I know I flooded the world, but here's a promise that I give to you. I will never use water to destroy all life again. And I will give you the rainbow as that sign. God begins to make these covenants and these promises to just simple people. The next person he makes a promise to, you should go to Genesis 12. He makes a promise to Abraham. Many of you have probably heard of Abraham. Abraham was very old at the time. He had a barren wife, which means she was not able to have a baby. And God goes to him and says, I 
am going to make you into a great nation and you will be a great name and all people will be blessed through you. And I will bless those who bless you. So God takes a normal man whose wife can't have a baby and says that all people who will believe in me one day will come through your lineage. I will bless them. You will be blessed. You will be a great nation and you will have a great name. Can you imagine this promise being given to you when you're looking over and going, my wife can't have a baby. How will this happen? But God steps back in to the story of man and says, don't worry about it. I'm going to make some promises and some covenants. And then we see, going into Genesis 46, we see that God tells Jacob, Jacob is one of the descendants of Abraham, God tells Jacob to go into Egypt and that he, in Egypt, will make them a great nation. So they're gonna go into rivalry territory and God is going to bless them there. And we know this story There's a lot, they end up having a lot of kids and Pharaoh looks out one day and says, man, those people are way too numerous. We gotta do something. And God chooses Moses and he says, hey, go tell Pharaoh that I'm coming to get my people because he looks down and he sees the suffering of his people. So even when it looks like there's no hope, there's no peace, there's no joy, they'll never rejoice in the presence. God is looking down and say, I see my people suffering. And I made a promise to them. Whatever grief, whatever anger, whatever they're going through, I made a promise and I don't want them to suffer anymore. So he tells Moses to go to Pharaoh and say, I'm taking God's people and Pharaoh. And he goes, God, what, who do I tell sent me? And God says one of the greatest statements in the Old Testament, I am who I am. I am who I am. And so then we see another covenant being made. We call it the Davidic covenant. The Davidic covenant was a covenant made to King David. And it tells us that there will be a descendant of David that will reign on the throne of the kingdom of God. So once again, God enters into the story of man, of woman, and says that I will make this promise and I will keep my promise. And one day there will be somebody that reigns on the throne that comes from your lineage. So God continues to make these promises. Now, if we fast forward a little bit further in 742 BC, we see a prophet Isaiah begin to, to get called and God starts giving him a word. Now, what you have to know is in 742 BC and 722, so about 20 years later, what's going to happen is the Assyrians are going to conquer northern Israel. And they will go into exile. And in 586 BC, the Babylonians conquer the southern Israel and they go into exile. So Isaiah steps into the story before this ever happens. Now think about that. You go into exile, no hope, no peace, no joy. Where's God? So before before they even go into exile, God steps into the story and he says this. Isaiah 7:14. Now we're not getting the what, we're starting going to start getting the who and the how. So in Isaiah 7:14 we say therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and you will call him Emmanuel. And then we go into Isaiah 9 
6 and 7, it says, For us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end, meaning it will be absolute and eternal. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So we see the who is going to be a child. A child will be born and the how will be born of a virgin. And then we go to the next page, chapter 11. It says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Jesse is David's father. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. So we will see that a shoot will spring up from the lineage of Jesse. Remember when we, he made the covenant with David? He said that there will be one that comes of your lineage that will be on the throne of the kingdom of God. And then finally, in verse 10 of chapter 11, in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his place of rest will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the remnant that is left of his people from Assyria, from lower Egypt, from upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, um, Elam and Babylonia, from Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. So this is God's promise to them before they ever go into exile. God is making a promise that I will enter back into the story and I will redeem you. I made promises and in these promises you will have hope. You will have hope. So now let's fast forward. Does the promise actually happen? Well, we wouldn't be here today celebrating Christmas if it didn't. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be a child through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. You have to understand, during this time, if a woman was found in adultery, you could be killed. And so Joseph, with a compassionate heart, says, I will divorce her quietly. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. Remember the lineage, right? Anybody skip over the lineage stuff in the Bible? What I told you today is the lineage is very important because if we look at chapter one, verse one, it says this is a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, the son of Abraham. The promise all begin with Abraham and then it went to David and then it comes to Jesus. Lineages are important and these people were all in the lineage were all people that God chose to continue to work his promises into redemption. So all this took place. So then then it says, uh, Joseph be a son. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God was making promises. And in this moment, there's a baby that is born exactly how Isaiah said it would happen 742 years prior. 
does God keep his promises? We see the promise being fulfilled in a baby born in a manger in a simple way. We find out in the book of John earlier that it says that, that, that God came down off his throne and tabernacled or dwelt among his people. This is the God that we serve, a God that keeps his promises and that will fulfill his promises. So now we start to see that there is hope. We start to see that there might be peace again. We call him the Prince of Peace, the wonderful counselor. We start to see that there might be joy. We might be able to rejoice in the presence of God again because a baby was born. So if we fast forward to the book of John, which we'd be about 33 years later, he's on his final day before he gets betrayed by Judas. And remember, these people had hope. They had peace. They were in the presence of God himself. Jesus Christ, and there was joy. And he's saying, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to leave you in a little while. And they're like, what is this little while? What does that mean? And he tells them that I am going to leave you in a little while, but it's good that I go, he says. In the book of John, it says, it's good that I go because there will be something that will come upon you that will counsel you, that will help you, that will reveal all truth to you, that will remind you, remember, and you won't have to remember all the things I'm teaching you now because this Holy Spirit will come upon you and he will help you to remember and remind you, I must go, but there is something that will come upon you that will help you live in truth, that will help you understand the promises, that will help you have peace that will continue your hope and that will bring about joy. And so John and Jesus in his beautiful way, he says, you're actually going to grieve. When I leave, you're going to be troubled. You're going to grieve. There's going to be plenty of sorrow. But don't worry because I'm coming back so you will find joy. And he uses this beautiful picture. Remember the curse of childbearing? Now Jesus is gonna tell us about that curse and he's gonna say, you know, when you're about ready to have a baby and how much pain and how much anger is going on? I saw one over here earlier. There, yeah. And are you the mom? No. Okay. Is the mom here? No? Okay, sorry. We, it's not gonna work then. Um, <laughs> we had one over here earlier. Anybody got a baby? And a mom, right here. No? Yeah. Okay, there we go. Okay, new baby. Can, do you remember the pain and the anguish? Yeah? Is this your husband? Did you want to stab him with a dagger? Do you, yeah, you remember that? Yeah. So he takes this moment of pain and of anger, and then he says the very thing that gives you the most pain and most anger is going to be the very thing that brings you the most joy. Mom, do you remember after all that pain went away, laying on your chest and just experiencing joy? Yeah, you remember that? Do you remember going, thank goodness? <laughs> like, I make it through one more day. So he uses this beautiful illustration to say, hey, you all understand childbearing. It brings about this pain and this anguish, but the very thing that brings you pain and anguish is going to be the thing that brings about your joy. 
is going to be about your joy. Remember, our working definition had to do with the calm delights, this gladness, this idea of God's grace upon you. Have you ever thought about you having a child that's God's grace in your life? And you recognize that, and it brings you joy. See, if we use our working definition, the idea of joy is recognizing in a calm delight that God's grace on our life. And remember, we don't deserve anything. We are sinners. Daniel did a great job of making us all feel terrible earlier that you are a sinner. And when you come in here, you have no access to the tree of life. You have no hope of salvation you have no peace with God. You have no joy. And Jesus is saying in this moment, no, that's not true because I'm going to go away and there's going to be one that comes upon you that will bring you joy. Now, the biblical authors, they tell us that not only can we find joy in great things that happen to us, we can find joy in suffering. James 1, 2 Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. In this moment, James is telling us that we can have a calm delight, a gladness when we go through trials and tribulations. Anybody good at that? When you're going through the worst of times, do you have an idea of, God, why me? What did I do to deserve this? God must be punishing me. And in this moment, James is saying, that's not it at all. In fact, you can find joy in the fact that you're going through these challenging times. But see, for us today, we have to figure out, what if we change perspective? What if we looked at this differently? What if we ask God, hey, what is it you're trying to reveal to me? What is it you want to teach me in this moment? What is in me that needs to be dealt with that I don't want to deal with? What do I need to heal from? What secrets need to be shared? How is my pride or my ego impacting me, my jealousy, my, covet my covetous? What are you trying to teach me, God? How are you trying to mature me? We often pray, God, increase my faith. That's exactly what pers perseverance is. But when he's trying to increase your faith through trials and tribulations, how many are like, yeah, I don't need that much faith? This seems like enough for now. But see, James is telling us in this moment that we can consider it pure joy. We can have a calm delight. Here's what that means. If we take our working definition of grace recognized, what if it was God's grace and he recognizes in you that something needs to change so you can experience the fullness of the joy from the Holy Spirit? And he walked into your world and wanted to give you hope and peace so you could bring about joy. And what if 
On the other hand, when God came in with his grace, you recognized that grace and said, thank you, God, for not leaving me in this muck that I'm in. Thank you, God, for revealing to me the ugly that exists in me that's breaking relationships. Thank you for revealing to me that I need to heal from that trauma that I experienced as a six-year-old kid. Thank you for revealing to me you recognize God's grace in a calm, delightful way. You can see in the moment that God's trying to do something in you. And why? So he can bring about hope. So he can bring about peace. So that you... His, the fullness of the joy may be complete in you. See, that's what John tells us today. He says, in that day, you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth. My father will give you whatever I ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked anything in my name. Ask and you shall receive and your joy will be complete. God, would you get in me Come into my life. Give me grace. Give me unmerited favor. Heal me. Reveal to me. Mature me. Would you persevere me, God? This is what we need to start asking today. We need to start asking the hard questions to God, not just the simple ones. We need to go to God and we need to address the, the real hard stuff because I can tell you if you don't address the hard stuff you'll never experience the fullness of the joy that Jesus says is available to you today you'll never experience that fullness see Jesus tells us I, I, I want you to have joy I want you to rejoice You want to know when we have the most joy? It's when we're stepping into somebody else's life and loving them and bringing them hope. You ever walked into a conversation with a friend and they come in and they're destitute and you gave them a nice message and they left with hope and where was your joy? You ever walked into an angry situation with an angry husband or angry wife or significant other or friend or whatever work atmosphere and you were the peace in the room and peace came back peace it brought peace about in that other person see Jesus tells us that our joy will be made complete when we love each other as he has loved us Here's one thing that we don't often recognize. The two greatest commandments, love God and love others as. We often forget that part. If you look in the mirror and you look and you don't see what you like in the mirror and you don't love yourself, you don't feel secure in yourself, you don't feel confident or reassured in your place and your identity with Christ, I don't want you going around loving anybody else. Because what you're going to show is the reflection of what you see yourself as. See, today, when we talk about going through trials and tribulations and all the things that are going on in this world, we need to step into these. But here's the thing that I'll tell you today. You can rejoice in that. Because when you come out the other end, things will never taste so good.
we often say as pastors, the kingdom of God is here, but not yet. That means that peace and joy and hope in the name of Jesus Christ exists for you today. See, Jesus came into our world and brought the peace with God. Remember, remember when they put the cherubim up and the flashing swords? On the cross, Jesus broke that down and now we have access back to the tree of life. That is our hope today. See, we find hope in the promises, but we find joy in the promises kept. And the promise that was kept for you and I today was that God was gonna work out a redemptive plan to offer us a way back to be in the presence of God, to be back in Eden with God, where Adam was just kind of hanging out, naming animals. Everything was in complete harmony. Things were full that's what our hearts long for today. We long for joy. Let me give you this last piece. We have the fullness of joy in God when it outweighs all other competing emotions and overflows in love of others. Let me read that one more time. We have fullness of joy in God when it outweighs all of our other competing emotions and overflows in love of others. We get a fullness of joy when everything else doesn't matter except for God's presence in our life. When nothing else matters but this truth. When nothing else matters but becoming healthy in your identity in Christ and healing and getting rid of your sin and then you can step in and you can serve and love others. And that's what we're here, need to be here about today. As a church, we need to raise up in that hope and that promise. We need to rejoice in that. See, and I'll end here. Look at, there's, they're all there. There we go. I had to look for them last time. They didn't know. Yeah. Okay, we're good. So remember in Isaiah, God made a promise to a people. They didn't know they were gonna be going into exile, but he makes this promise and that's in chapter 11 if you wanna go back and read it. And then chapter 12, listen to this. They sing a song of praise. After the promise of the who, the what, and the how, they sing a song of praise. In that day, you will say, I praise you, O Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away. And you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. In the Hebrew, that word is Yeshua. Surely God is my salvation. Yeshua, Jesus. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. We will go to him with joy, with calm delight, with gladness. And we will recognize his grace and we will draw near to him and drink the water of life. In that day, you will say, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done and proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord for he has done glorious things. Let it be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. This is our marching orders today. 
Sing aloud, rejoice in the idea that you have a savior that entered into your story so you might be redeemed and be back in the presence of God. That's what we celebrate this season for. And that brings us joy. So here is what I ask you to do. This next song perfectly fits with what we just read. And I want you to shout aloud and experience peace and hope and rejoice in the fact that you have a savior that came into the world, came into your life and God kept his promise. See, that's what we hope for today. Joy comes from the hope of salvation. Amen? Amen. Go ahead and stand with me and we'll sing along. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to partner with us in sharing Jesus and helping people experience life change, you can support our mission by clicking the link in the description. If this message has impacted you, please subscribe and share. To learn more, visit wearecalvary.com. We'll see you back next week.